Welcome, friends. Uh, this is Mary Beth Gassman. I'm a professor at Rutgers University, and I'm also the executive director of both the Proctor Institute for Leadership, Equity, and Justice and the Rutgers Center for Minority Serving Institutions. Welcome to the Varying Viewpoints podcast. I'm not sure how many of you know, but we just launched this wonderful new partnership with the Student Veterans of America. And so I am really excited about our guest today, who is Jared Lyon, the national president and CEO of the Student Veterans Association. Welcome, Jared. Hey, Mary Beth. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And we'd love to know a little bit more about you and you know why you do the work you do. Yeah, so I, I, I appreciate that. Bit of an open-ended question. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm a kid from a small town uh, on the South Shore of Massachusetts uh, who moved my senior year in high school and uh, right after high school uh, ran off and, uh, and joined the world's finest Navy. Uh, that was in August of 2001. Uh, so I joined a peacetime military. And while I was in basic training in Great Lakes, Illinois, the world changed uh, with the events of September 11th. Um, you know, no longer uh, were we just preparing to serve our country. Uh, you know, those in my generation uh, were now preparing to serve our country during a time of war. Um, the entire time that I would be on active duty uh, would be uh, during a time of war. Uh, served for four years, separated from active duty in 2005, uh, went on to do a variety of things uh, while also uh, working on my associate's degree, uh, mostly at night at a community college in the state of Florida. Um, then going on to uh, uh, start my first business, uh, which uh, I love to say I learned a lot in that process, uh, which is what you say when you lose all your money. Uh, so I, I learned so much in that process. And then uh, from, from there, uh, I actually uh, had the opportunity uh, to go to a small little state school in, uh, in, in Florida uh, called Florida State University up in Tallahassee, so go Knowles. Um, Notwithstanding, uh, Florida State was a school I'd always wanted to go to. Uh, when I was in the Navy, um, I attended a, a dive school in Panama City Beach, Florida, and uh, some of my friends from high school uh, went to Florida State. And Panama City Beach, Florida is not all that far from uh, Florida State. So I had the chance to, uh, to actually go visit campus while I was on active duty, and friends of mine that I had grown up with uh, were students. And I fell in love with the campus in Tallahassee. And so it's the place I always aspired to go to. So uh, at the at the beautiful age of 28 years old, I became a transfer junior at, uh, at the Florida State University. And when I showed up on campus, uh, I got to tell you, Mary Beth, I, uh, to steal a term from the Navy, I, I felt very much like a fish out of water when I first showed up. You know, being 28 years old and being uh, a transfer junior, uh, I just felt so different from my peers, a place that I'd always wanted to go to uh, within the first two weeks of getting there. I really questioned my decision. And, you know, it wasn't that classes felt difficult. Uh, it was just the adjustment of being in a very uh, traditional environment uh, that was set up for traditional students um, that I just didn't necessarily felt like I fit in. I, I didn't feel like I belonged. I, I got lucky two weeks uh, when I was on campus late one night was chatting with my uh, girlfriend at the time. She's my wife now. But uh, when we were chatting, uh, she sort of just said to me, hey, are, are you thinking about quitting? And I was like, well, you know, I, she's like, you don't quit. And I was like, ah, she's like, you got to at least finish the semester. You figure it out, you know. And so the next day uh, I saw an advertisement on campus that said, are you a veteran? This room, this date, this time. 
And to this day, I always say, I, I'm not really sure I read it as, are you a veteran so much as I did? Are you a grown up? Do you miss having adult conversations and interactions with grownups? And I was like, yes, I do. You know, so I showed up to my first student veterans of America chapter meeting uh, at Florida State, uh, my first two weeks on campus. I started getting very involved with the organization uh, at the campus level and then ultimately nationally. Uh, the following year, uh, I became uh, the National Student Veteran of the Year. And from there, uh, I graduated, went on to graduate, uh, to take a job at Syracuse University um, uh, to help uh, with a small group that was standing up a new interdisciplinary uh, research institute. So uh, similar to, to the work that you do, an institute within an institution of higher learning. Uh, it was called the Institute for Veterans and Military Families to study uh, issues of transition for both veterans and military family members. Uh, I got into grad school while I was at Syracuse, so worked full-time at the university uh, while also working on a master's degree at the Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs at Syracuse University. Uh, I even went on to start teaching uh, as an adjunct over in the Whitman School of Management at Syracuse University, which I did for a number of years even after leaving Syracuse. Uh, and I ultimately left Syracuse University in 2014 uh, to join SVA's national headquarters. It was literally my dream job originally as our development guy. Uh, and then in 2016, uh, the board named me as our national president and CEO. Uh, and I've been serving in that role ever since. So a little bit about the journey uh, to get here and the motivation to do the job is genuinely this organization uh, altered the trajectory of my life. Uh, I feel that I owe a debt to Student Veterans of America that likely I'll never be able to repay. And I'm just uh, trying, to, trying to work off that debt every, every single day. Wow. Thank you for sharing all of that. I really, really appreciate it. Um, so, you know, we heard from your colleague, Joy, about uh, who's on your programs and services team, all about um, what SVA is and can do for student veterans, especially at minority serving institutions, because that's really what our partnership is about. And I'm wondering, can you share with us a little about SVA's strategy for including veterans in um, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion or DEI conversations? Yeah, Mary Beth, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't sort of take the opportunity as well to, to kind of comment on, you know, just the, the, the sort of interesting notion that that you know i'd even find myself here I, just by way of um some identifiers for myself i'm you know a, a, a cisgendered heterosexual male um and you know and i'm white I, I i don't necessarily think um about myself as somebody um who who is who is ideal to engage in these styles of conversations but um that that started to change for me uh in, in, in the spring of 2018, um, I had the great fortune to be uh, accepted to a, a leadership development program called the Presidential Leadership Scholars. And uh, it sort of takes mid-career professionals uh, from the full spectrum of industry, uh, education, nonprofits, and government, and, and brings them together in a cohort of, a, of approximately 60 scholars. Uh, and through the presidential libraries of Presidents Johnson, uh, George H.W. Bush, President Bill Clinton, and President George W. Bush, those four presidential libraries serve as this unique opportunity to engage in conversations of leadership. And entering that program, I genuinely, as sort of a white straight guy, felt like the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations uh, were sort of this thing that you know, folks were going to have a meeting and after the meeting, let me know what I was supposed to do. And, and I was happy to go out and execute it. Um, but it was through my fellow scholars uh, in the program 
And I started to engage in comfortable and, and safe conversations about topics that I felt very uncomfortable and very unsafe having. Um, and I really started to, to gain this understanding that, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion um, has the opportunity to embrace so many different vantage points, lived experiences, identities, et cetera, uh, that, that there is a role for, for, for me to, to be able to play as a white straight guy. I, I'll be honest with you, Mary Beth, since, since um, the tragic events, the murder of George Floyd in, in June of last year, I, I, I've genuinely been doing a lot of listening. Uh, but in that listening, trying to find ways in which the organization that I lead uh, can truly show up for all veterans, military family members, military connected students, survivors, supporters, and allies in, in a way that matters. And so that, that's really kind of just some of the background as to the impetus for the motivation uh, of SVA. Um, I'm happy to jump into a little bit more about the strategy uh, of the organization as it pertains to the DEI conversation. First and foremost, just to kind of you know paint a picture, we're, we're big data dorks at SVA, so, so data matters a great deal to us and, and the ability to dive headlong uh, into the numbers uh, matters. And so to sort of paint a broader picture as to who the contemporary uh, veteran is and, and very specifically the contemporary student veteran, it's helpful to contextualize the fact that as a result of military service, the majority of veterans, when they separate, have the opportunity to have college paid for via the post 9-11 GI Bill. Uh, and SVA was actually founded to help pass that. I know you chatted with Joy a little bit about that in a previous episode, uh, but really since 2009, uh, our country has invested uh, just north of $119 billion uh, that has been paid out on behalf of the beneficiaries with education benefits. Um, and from that population, what we find is, um, you know, a fairly good cross section of American representation. So, by way of age, uh, just over ninety percent of our population uh, is aged twenty-five or older when they go back to school. So, much like I was a little older, um, the majority of us, uh, nearly two-thirds, are, are first-generation college students, just like I was. I was the first person in my family that have the opportunity to uh, to finish an undergraduate degree. Um, when we start looking at further demographics. Um, it shocks a lot of people uh, to know that we're right about 31% women uh, and, and growing. Now, that's certainly below the national average of the U.S. population for women. But when you look at all veterans who are alive, uh, the U.S. population of veterans right now nationwide is about 11%. And then if you compare that to active duty military, women are the uh, quickest growing demographic um, in the armed forces at, at about 18% women. Uh, so at 31% women student veterans, uh, SVA really overrepresents the nationwide population of women veterans uh, for our organization. And uh, just about half, 49% of our, our local chapter leaders are our sisters in arms, women veterans. And we see an increasing number of trans, non-binary, and other genders uh, who are continually uh, identifying an organization. Um, we're just over 18% uh, Hispanic, Latino, Latino. Uh, just over 14% uh, of our population is Black, and actually only 55% are white. And there's a numerous number of other demographics, and happy to kind of get into each of them uh, directly. But you know, really, when we look at our, our impetus for DEI and engaging in that conversation, it's based on this notion for us of, of veteran inclusivity and, and representation. And by way of representation, we start looking at minority serving institutions. Uh, veterans actually make up uh, a, a pretty reasonable portion uh, of the MSI student population. Um, 
but but we think we have a better opportunity to help grow it. Uh, as as you start looking, we range anywhere from uh, you know at, at like an Asian American Pacific Islander serving institution. Uh, we have chapters at nearly forty percent of those campuses, sixty six in total. Um, at Hispanic serving institutions. Uh, just over 31%. Um, at HBCUs, uh, we currently have 16 chapters at HBCUs, making up uh, just roughly about 16%. I could go down the list, but what we're starting to realize is that we, we have a role to play by supporting better uh, our student veterans, military-connected students, family members, supporters, allies, and survivors at, at MSIs. And then, you know, we, we genuinely know that if we conduct purposeful outreach to schools and veterans, as well as the family members that are at those schools would be missing uh, that opportunity for representation if we weren't engaged uh, with MSIs. And then if we start sort of looking at the, the, the broader scope of things, we, we have a, a, a couple of future interesting things uh, that we'll be engaging in because everything I've talked to right now is up to present sense. So as I I look towards the future with regard to our strategy. Uh, social justice uh, and racial justice are, are two issues uh, that we are consistently, especially over the last 18 months, hearing from our chapters directly as, as areas uh, that they want to see a stronger focus. And so it's our responsibility at the national headquarters to ensure that we're not only becoming better educated in these concepts ourselves, but leveraging the, the learned lessons uh, in those categories to ensure that we're incorporating uh, those learned lessons uh, within our advocacy at the federal level and otherwise. Um, we are launching a racial justice task force at our national conference uh, this coming January. And uh, it, it's not not sort of, uh, it's a little, I'll sort of allude to something that uh, we'll, we'll be making a big announcement on towards the end of the year, uh, but we'll be able to hire our first uh, full-time senior fellow on diversity, equity, inclusion on staff. Uh, and then uh, we're also going to have uh, specifically a program coordinator who will be full-time in DEI, being able to support at the chapter level um, our diversity, equity, and inclusion liaisons uh, within our chapters. So I know I just threw a lot at you there, but uh, as it pertains to strategy, uh, this is something that we hope to try uh, to ensure is, is more than just the right words, uh, but also backed by the right actions um, to truly make sure that we're able to show up for all of our chapter leaders uh, to ensure no matter uh, where they are, uh, we can meet them where they are and support them better. No, that was good information. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I, I of course knew about the organization, but I just had no concept of just how much good work is being done. And um, I, you know, consider myself somebody who's pretty well read and goes, goes out there looking for information. So this has been, um, it's just been wonderful to learn about all of the things that you're, you're doing. So I'm, no, I'm, I'm excited. And, uh, I noticed that you use the term veteran inclusivity um, and many times, you know, I, I've heard on college campuses, especially like veteran friendly or, and I'm wondering if you can explain kind of the difference between those two terms and why SVA chooses to use inclusivity, which I really like, but I'm just wondering if you could talk about it. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. Th thanks for picking up on that too. By the way, it's um it's something that for us is very intentional, and so to kind of to categorize um the the notion of inclusivity for us, a lot of it uh, comes down to this notion that if if you look at the student veteran population within the context of 
all students in higher education. Um, what's interesting about the student veteran population is you'd be seeing a size of a population uh, akin to the similar size uh, nationwide that we have of international students. So uh, right in that, you know, four and a half to five and a half percent of the nation's student body um, is, is actually uh, veterans. When you include military-connected students, uh, family members, et cetera, we can see that number increase a little bit. So we are a smaller population within higher education, but when we think about inclusivity, we have the opportunity to sort of embrace what higher education identifies as. And it's not necessarily, I know you mentioned that you've heard the term uh, military or, or veteran friendly. You know, I would never sort of indicate that friendly is a bad term. It's, it's certainly a term of acceptance and tolerance, but in higher education, for us anyway, veteran-friendly has been aligned with what I'd call like policies and procedures um, that sort of make a lot of assumptions about veterans. Um, those assumptions could be categorized as veterans um, are going to need lower standards of admissions uh, if they're going to be able to come to our schools, or uh, perhaps that they're operating at somewhat of a, of a deficit uh, versus traditional students. And, you know, when we look at the concepts of inclusivity within higher education, you know, we don't think of inclusivity in the terms of a deficit. We think about it as additive. And, and military and veteran friendly, unfortunately, has sort of built that connotation. Um, and so when we look at inclusive and sort of terms of giving um, any group a chance to be heard, to be understood, um, to be included in situations, and having the opportunity to feel um, sort of less placated to, that, that's for us why we want to drive this notion of, um, you know, anyone could be military and veteran friendly, that, that's great. I think in general sense, it's, it's more of a marketing term. If we think about being veteran inclusive, though, um, it allows us to sort of fit into the context of higher education. And, and genuinely, we choose to be inclusive because we see real impact when veterans have the opportunity to be integrated into the whole of campus. Uh, that's everything in campus life from student government uh, to, you know, rather collegiate sports uh, or intramural sports to Greek life to, to any club you could think of on campus. Because we know that veterans are best served when they contribute to the conversations uh, that are involving their actual needs. Friendly is often done at the administration level about what we'll do. Um, veteran inclusive gives the opportunity to ensure that veterans are, are partaking in those conversations and that we're driving to ensure that veterans are integrated to every aspect of campus life. So that's what we mean when we say veteran inclusive. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. I like that. And, you know, language is so important too. So um, words yeah. matter, right? Yeah, it, it really does. So um, I kind of want to delve a little deeper into the DEI stuff. And so, you know, many times we hear those in charge of an organization say they support diversity, equity, inclusion, but um, the leadership team is, you know, not really fully indicative of that, or or maybe it it, it is, and the person that brings the diversity um, is then tasked with diversifying the entire team. And uh, so I'm wondering, how do you see SVA's role in helping to foster leadership diversity inside and outside of the organization? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's such a good question. Um, and it's one that's evolving, I, I think, I think weekly for, for SVA. Um, because, you know, we take great care to sort of 
understand anything that we do at the national level is for and on behalf of our chapters. The, the strength of our organization is our chapters. And w- when you look at that footprint, SVA is in all 50 states, U.S. territories, and three countries overseas with just over 1,500 chapters, representing just north of 754,000 student veterans. So, you know, in, in terms of student organizations, our footprint is really big. And when I sort of mention Student Veterans of America in the context of higher education as a student-centric, uh, chapter-based uh, peer mentorship organization, people say to me in higher ed, wait, who? And I'm like, well, could you, would you imagine that one of the, the country's largest student organizations is comprised of mostly veterans? It's like, oh, I didn't realize there were that many veterans in higher education. So, I mean, I think we have a, a long way to go in, in sort of this notion of inclusion, but, you know, particularly as it, as it pertains to DE&I from a leadership perspective, I, I mentioned it to you earlier, Mary Beth. I mean, this, this is something that I haven't found myself in a lot of these conversations with the exception of perhaps over these last a little over three years. And so when I look at it, it's this opportunity that, you know, we have the, the chance to not not impart a lot of bad practices as we endeavor on this journey in the beginning. We're trying in every way that we can to make sure that we're we're doing the work to get this right. And one of the key things that I've, that I've had the chance to learn is, I mean, somewhat to what you're describing, sometimes the leadership is like, okay, well, we've, we've just hired a head of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We've checked that box, uh, check in with us in six months and let us know the progress of our becoming more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. And, and even if that person is in a senior role, if, if they're not sort of integrated within the leadership team effectively, it, it sort of becomes this secondary thing. And so this, this might seem like a, a weird analogy, but, you know, I mentioned earlier that we're, we're real geeks at SVA's headquarters. I mean, data drives everything that we do. And our research department, as a for instance, is, is not just a department that sits off to the side to do research. Research has the opportunity to inform everything that we're doing from uh, the opportunity to evaluate the efficacy of our programs and services, but then more directly to have the opportunity to evaluate, you know, uh, national population level, you know, publicly available data that we aggregate and then, you know, inform members of Congress as to how they're making decisions uh, on behalf of the population. But data doesn't sit in just the research department. It permeates every aspect of our organization to strengthen it and make it better. Diversity, equity, and inclusion has the opportunity to do the same for us. And so uh, for me, I think the real trick is trying to ensure that DEI is integrated fully with operations. And so uh, right now we're going through a hiring process uh, for a new vice president of operations. And our opportunity really is to, uh, as we stand up our formal DEI efforts at, at our headquarters, is to ensure that DEI is fully integrated into our operations. It becomes our daily habit. You know, the decisions that we're making, the policies that we're setting, um, that that they're representative of our intent uh, to really uh, ultimately. Um, achieve our DEI objectives, which is that everyone has the opportunity, no matter where they are, uh, to show up as their true and authentic self to contribute to the organization. And so, I mean, that obviously is our leadership team on our headquarters staff. It's also our board of directors, uh, but then generally having the opportunity uh, to, to, I guess I would call it bridge the gap 
in aiding representation for our partners as well. Um, we work at SVA with a lot of uh, corporations uh, who have a great interest in wanting to hire educated veterans after they graduate. Um, I mean, partners in the corporate world uh, have, have seemingly, we're learning from them as well, uh, but understood that diversity is important to their everyday operations and their hiring practices, uh, but they're also starting to acknowledge what veterans bring to the opportunity and our chance to work with minority serving institutions and pairing veterans at those institutions with employment opportunities and not just at the point of graduation. I, I think that's that's natural for a student organization to think at point of graduation for employment. But for us, it's also the fact that nearly 75% of student veterans while they're in school even though they have the GI Bill helping to cover and defer the costs of their education, 75% of the population works full or part-time while they're in school because nearly 52% of us uh, are in uh, committed uh, relationships. Uh, nearly 47% of us uh, have children in committed relationships and nearly 20% of us are single parents when we go back to school. So the GI Bill even of itself was designed for uh, you know, a 25-year-old single white male with no children 77 years ago, and it's still that way. So having the opportunity to sort of understand the systemic uh, policies that have led us to sort of doing something one way for 77 years and having it still be that way. Um, and so, you know, beyond our management team, it's also acknowledgement um, that veteran status has to some extent emerged as a diversity marker. And we often see the drive for our fellow veteran serving organizations um, nationwide uh, to, to be fully staffed by veterans and veterans alone. But when we start thinking about mil the military, you know, even the military, it has folks serving in uniform, but it also has civilians serving alongside of those in uniform. And so thinking in the broader context of just even our own employment efforts, we have a relatively small staff, but we're growing and having the understanding of, you know, we want veterans to join our team, but we also want, uh, you know, spouses of veterans uh, to join the team or partners of veterans to join the team, uh, children of veterans to join the team, caregivers to veterans to join the team. And the list goes on and on and on. But I guess sort of looking at it from a full integration from our headquarters to our board of directors to our local chapters, um, and, and making sure that we have the opportunity uh, to, to integrate it fully with our operations would be the easiest way to, to sort of explain it. Wow, thank you. I mean, it sounds good. I'm hoping more and more organizations will take a similar approach. So I think that would be helpful. Um, so another thing I'm curious about is um, what are ways from your perspective to help veterans who are unaware of the benefits of this type of inclusion uh, in their SVA chapter? Yeah, I think, I think that's a great question. Um, I, I mean, history, history shows us that diversity is so helpful in the betterment of humankind. And so when we think about the military, um, you know, it's, it, it might not be something that, that a lot of folks, uh, are, are quick to think, you know, the military is, uh, this very diverse organization, um, you know, often when people think about the military, uh, they think of a of a nineteen year old uh, male who is likely white, who has a high and tight haircut, who's tall and is physically fit and ready to go storm a hill or something like that. But the, the military has has a mandate to try to be as representative 
of the people uh, that it serves because the, the people the military serves in the U.S. come from the U.S. before they're ever in the military. And so the military has still a long way to go to achieve that goal, uh, but they're working on it. A statistic that I find so interesting is that, you know, the Department of Defense is, is one of the largest single employers of, of trans people in the United States. You wouldn't necessarily think that, you know, and when you start looking at the military from its junior ranks, um, so on the enlisted side, it would be E5 and below, and on the officer ranks, O3 and below. When you look at these junior ranks, in, in many instances, amongst uh, a variety of diversity um demographics, the U.S. military in some ways will overrepresent um, in areas uh, and actually continues to strive in its senior ranks uh, to be able to achieve the same. Unfortunately, the military is a very hierarchical structure. Uh, so somebody who's at the most senior ranks came in 20 plus years ago and has just sort of moved on uh, up the ranks. So what you start seeing at the senior ranks are decisions that were made 30 years ago. And 30 years ago is when the U.S. Armed Forces really made an effort to do that. And that's who the veteran population of the modern era is being drawn from, mostly those junior ranks. The average person in the U.S. military, about 76% of those that serve in uniform, will be fully out of the military after only six years of service. And the majority of that population will be on a college campus within seven months after they get off of active duty. So the average veteran that is coming in to college is, is right around, uh, you know, mid twenties to mid thirties when they're coming uh, to that higher education experience. Uh, but more than that, you know, the, the opportunity to sort of look at, at veterans having the opportunity to look at their fit within the context of higher education. And I think, you know, it, it probably goes without standing from your vantage point that higher ed still has a lot of work to do with regard to representation and inclusion, but is striving for it uh, every day. As an employer, you could look at higher ed as, as one of the more uh, progressive uh, employers in trying to achieve that. And then even too, with the makeup of the students that our institutions admit, um, you know, it, it, is, it is conscious at least. And then when we start looking at for veterans, to have the opportunity to acknowledge uh, that, you know, there are veterans who are minorities, uh, but then you also kind of think about it, veterans, as I mentioned earlier, at about four and a half to five and a half percent of the nation's student body, in the context of higher ed, veterans are minorities in the just overall makeup of students. And having the opportunity to create more inclusive communities at the campus level uh, makes a no wrong door for any new student who comes to campus, whether that student is a veteran uh, or whether or not they might be identifying as a veteran uh, can't be known to you as somebody who's trying to serve the population. So uh, by by having the embracement uh, of what DEI can do, what inclusion can do at a local SVA chapter has the opportunity to expand what that chapter can do on its campus. Beyond that, veterans themselves are increasingly diverse, as I, as I kind of mentioned. And the opportunity uh, to grow an SVA chapter means being inclusive of anybody, uh, whether they identify as a veteran or not. Uh, because if we think in the context of higher education, uh, you know, most student clubs, most student organizations on that campus, uh, they strive to serve all students on that campus for the betterment of all students. I, I always make the joke, but could you imagine being the leader of a student organization and going to SGA for a funding meeting and saying, I don't want to serve the majority of the students here at my campus. 
No, you want to look for a way that, that the work that you're doing can benefit all students on campus, even if you're focusing those efforts on certain categories of students to ensure that they have a better opportunity for representation and their voices to be heard. You, you want to drive impact by having the opportunity to serve as many from the community as you can versus looking for ways uh, to exclude. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's so interesting to um to learn all these stats because, you know, it's just, uh, I, I've been studying higher education for a long time as a faculty member and, but my area, you know, doesn't really cross over. Um, I'm a historian, so I know a lot about um, things like the GI Bill and, and veterans historically, but I really haven't kept up that much with um, what is happening now. So this is this is really, um, for me, it's really interesting to learn all these things. Um, I have another question, I guess, um, how you, and you alluded to this a bit earlier, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit more. Um, can you talk about how um, diversity more generally has helped your organization and then how you see students at MSIs, uh, minority serving institutions, uh, benefiting from SVA during and after their time at the university? Yeah, no, so th this, is, this is a really, this is a good question for, for the work that we do. So, I mean, genuinely speaking, diversity helps every organization by bringing new ideas and perspectives. To, to give you um, kind of a really specific example here, uh, when I first got involved in SVA, when I first started getting involved in veteran organizations, I mean, beyond Student Veterans of America, you know, I, uh, I'm i a member of the Veterans of Foreign Wars and the American Legion, some of the, the country's largest veteran organizations, uh, very traditional uh, in the sort of realm of what a veteran organization uh, looks like. That notwithstanding, though, when I first started getting involved, uh, geez, I'm doing math here, um, uh, oh goodness! A, a while ago, um, trying to uh, trying to remember when I when I came to to Florida State um, because I didn't really get involved in a veteran organization while I was at community college. So I guess what was that? Eleven, twelve years ago. You know, there was still sort of a feeling when you walked into a room of veterans um, that more folks looked like me than I remember seeing when I was on active duty. You know, when I was on active duty, I had the opportunity to sort of see the the broad kaleidoscope of America um, in our ranks when I was on active duty. When I first started getting involved in veteran organizations, and I don't think by design, but I just I, I saw more you know white males in the organization um, than I than I remember feeling when I was on active duty. And um, you know, you start wondering why that is. And, and I think it's like, you know, like attracts like to an extent. And if you're not always um, sort of keeping yourself open to be persuaded of other ideas and perspectives, then you sort of fall into the trap of believing you're doing everything right because nobody's telling you you're doing anything wrong. And so it just kind of keeps perpetuating itself. But one of the things that's a major difference for us in sort of this this broader context of of opening ourselves to ensuring everybody has the opportunity uh, to participate uh, no matter what their background might be is uh, was really particularly heavily felt within uh, within women because most veteran organizations just did not have high concentrations of our sisters in arms and as time went um, what, what we started to sort of understand at, at SVA because immersed within the context of higher education uh, a veteran organization that is made up of only 
men is is really not very successful in the context of being a student organization. And so because women as veterans overrepresent as students, we started to just have organically more interaction with women veterans at SVA than perhaps our peer uh, veteran organizations were a decade ago. And in sort of having the opportunity to have not just women, but um, other other folks, what we started to understand is one of the biggest issues uh, for student veterans uh, is, is not behavioral mental health, though that's important, is not uh, a risk of homelessness, although that's important. Um, it, it is not some of the more traditional advocacy things for veterans that, you know, in some extent might manifest as stereotypes. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's access to childcare. And that is not necessarily what you'll hear a lot of veteran organizations talking about or advocating for policy. And that perspective um, is unique for SVA, but because we've embraced diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, we're actually able to see that. And then we do the data to back up what we're sort of hearing from the chapter level. And that's why I'm able to tell you that, you know, 52% of our population is in a committed partnership and 47% of those in a partnership uh, have children and another 19, almost 20% of uh, student veterans who aren't are single parents. Well, when we start thinking about childcare, it's not just what you would think of like the quote nine to five childcare. It's first thing in the morning or after work or nights and weekends where you might have a class or a group project that you have to meet with or tutoring session or getting down to the writing lab or whatever it might be. And whether or not you can bring your child and also have the uninterrupted opportunity to focus on your studies or the course um, is a real challenge. And what we started to realize is that this is a real challenge for most non-traditional students. And as the student body in the United States becomes increasingly higher represented by uh, non-traditional students, so those students over the age of 25, we start realizing that childcare is not just an issue amongst graduate students, uh, faculty, and postdocs, but uh, that, that it's actually an issue for undergrads as well, who might be a little older and coming back to school. I mean, that's a really small example of how unique perspectives have helped shape the organization, but genuinely we believe that SVA serves as a gateway to the broader university context. Because go back to my story that I shared with you at the beginning, I, I just felt like I, I was a little out of place in the context of higher education. I, I felt like I didn't fit in. I felt like I didn't belong. And so as an organization that can be that sort of front door uh, for military connected students, student veterans, uh, military family members, family members of veterans, our, our spouses, our partners, uh, et cetera, we have that opportunity to let the SVA chapter serve as your, as your welcoming committee, but really your leaping off point to try to get involved in the broader student uh, context and student life uh, to become really inclusive on campus and open yourself up to this whole new world of relationships for student veterans ultimately bridging um, really what can be referred to as the civilian military divide because, you know, veterans on the whole only make up about about 9% of the nation's uh, civilian population. So, you know, veterans have this opportunity to bridge the gap for college students too. Uh, there's a fascinating study that says that uh, one in three undergraduates in the U.S. state that they know a veteran, meaning that for two thirds of college students in the U.S., 
you know, their parents didn't serve, uh, shoot, probably their neighbors didn't serve. They just haven't had the chance to meet a veteran. And so regardless of what any stereotypes might exist about who veterans are, veterans can play a role in countering that by meeting people who are not veterans. And people who are not veterans having the opportunity to meet veterans has the opportunity to sort of bridge the gap. I mean, it's, it's difficult to misunderstand somebody you know. So you should get to know as many people as you can. And, and I think we have the opportunity to do that um, with an SVA chapter and even more specifically an SVA chapter uh, in the context of a minority serving institution as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you for all of that. And I actually, when you went back to your own story, I was actually going to uh, say, you know, it seems like your own story fits into this narrative as well. So I told you I'm still trying to pay, pay it off. <laughs> um, well, let's see. I mean, I wanted to maybe just ask one more question. And that is just because I, you know, I'm, um, I direct a center related to minority serving institutions. And so I was curious, how can students on uh, MSI campuses use their voice through um, the student um, veterans of America? How can they do that? Yeah, I, I, I love this question because, you know, as I, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, as we began our conversation, you know, an SVA chapter doesn't exist at, at, the, at the majority of uh, MSIs, right? Um, you know, you, you could say with, with some pretty good certainty that um, traditional higher ed institutions, the majority of them have an SVA chapter. So, you know, the first thing is trying to make sure that we have the opportunity to have uh, more representation of student veterans in MSIs uh, via uh, a Student Veterans of America chapter. But first and foremost, how can uh, students uh, at MSIs use their voice through SVA? First, first and foremost, everything for SVA always starts with advocacy. It's, it's in our DNA. It's, it's how the organization was founded. Uh, I have mentioned that we had, we've had success with the opportunity to integrate more uh, women veterans uh, to campus, but I haven't mentioned that we've also seen the ability uh, to do so with, uh, with veterans with disabilities. So just over 65% of the country's student veterans uh, are actually uh, folks that identify as having a disability. It's pretty high when you when you think about the regular student population, uh, but having the opportunity to leverage advocacy efforts with what we call our campus liaisons are broken up into uh, just a handful of categories. But uh, what our campus liaisons are designed to do is actually work within the institution of higher learning. So if you think of the context of a minority serving institution having the opportunity to work with their office of uh, disability resources uh, and making sure that those offices have an understanding of the veteran experience. Uh, and so we're able to do that with our disability services liaisons. So it, it's really our first liaison program that started. Uh, second is having the opportunity uh, to actually engage as a, as a liaison uh, with uh, the opportunity of your government affairs team. So every institution of higher learning has their government affairs office and they've got their efforts and uh, things that they're advocating for, uh, whether that be at the local, uh, state or federal level. And student veterans uh, have the opportunity uh, to, to be really lucky as, as a population in the United States in that, um, that decision makers uh, in policy um, highlight the needs of veterans. So having the opportunity to make sure that that student veteran voices are included in that, and particularly at minority serving institutions uh, that might have a, a, a lesser percentage of veterans on their campus, uh, making sure that they have the opportunity to engage in areas that they might be passionate about in, in changing policy at the local, state, or federal level. Uh, next is 
our career services liaison. And so thinking about the opportunities uh, that exist uh, within hiring in the United States uh, are vast, but many companies, particularly Fortune 500s and government entities, often have uh, specific efforts uh, to hire more veterans within uh, their, their companies or, or their organizations. Uh, so by being a student veteran and expressing your voice at an MSI uh, with your campus career center to ensure that that campus career center uh, has, has the embracing idea of being veteran inclusive, uh, but also being veteran ready in, in sort of helping in the context. And as I mentioned earlier, 75% of student veterans are working full or part-time while they're in school. Uh, one of the biggest tragedies for me is the two industries that they work in while they're in school full-time uh, are retail and service. Now, there's nothing wrong with those industries. I've, I've certainly worked in them myself. But when you think about it, uh, compared to the top three academic majors uh, for student veterans at the undergraduate level, uh, their business, STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, and health-related fields. And so this really weird effect winds up happening, and, and it would happen to students at MSIs as well, where you might serve six years on active duty in the Army, and then uh, that soldier, she separates and comes to school within seven months of separating from active duty. Uh, average time to a bachelor's degree is, is, is encroaching five, five and a half years uh, for that population. And, uh, and then they graduate, and uh, they then go to look for a job with their degree in accounting or engineering. Uh, and, you know, the employer looks and says, well, hey, you didn't do any internships. And you're like, well, I didn't do any internships because I have a family. I had to work full time while I was in school and I uh, was maintaining 15 credits uh, the whole time I was enrolled in school. And they're like, oh, well, you just you have a lot of work experience. You just don't have any industry experience. So being able to work with our campus career centers to align jobs, not just at the point of graduation, not just internships, externships, and co-ops, although those are important, but also jobs in the local community that support veteran hiring in the industry that a veteran is majoring in, so that if they have to work, they're able to work in an industry that they're gaining industry experience. Uh, this leads to far better career outcomes and starts to mitigate uh, the trend that we're seeing with veteran underemployment. And so uh, the last category is with our offices of DEI themselves. Uh, so our disability, uh, or sorry, our diversity, equity, and inclusion liaisons, having the ability to make sure that uh, students at MSIs uh, have that voice and perspective heard as well. I mean, there's also the, the myriad of other things that SVA does, um, our, our programs and services, which are primarily directed at our chapter leaders to make sure that our chapter leaders can run successful and sustainable student veteran organizations on their local campus, uh, but that they're ready to serve all the veterans in a volunteer capacity on their campus and, and make sure that they elevate their voices. Uh, but then there's also things like our, our national conference, which is the largest gathering of student veterans uh, all around the country. Uh, we offer scholarships uh, every year. Uh, typically an SVA scholarship is at about the $10,000 level. Uh, we'll usually do between 18 and 25 of those scholarships every year uh, to student veterans. And then we're also just here in that general sense to continue to provide guidance specifically for our chapter leaders and things like our chapter consultations uh, where any SVA chapter leader and, and for us, we use the term leader versus you'd hear most student organizations use the word off like officer positions, uh, though very much our chapter leaders serve in officer positions like president, secretary, treasurer, uh, vice president, et cetera. Um, 
in the military, uh, some of us were non-commissioned officers, some of us were just troops, some of us were warrant officers, some of us were commissioned officers. So it's sort of that that vernacular can get a little bit confusing uh, within our own organization. So we, we just favor the term chapter leader. But any of our chapter leaders can work with headquarters to receive sort of direct one-on-one uh, sort of coaching, if you will. Uh, and then we also do things uh, here in, in Washington, D.C., uh, you know, the three categories that SBA supports broadly. I've, I've talked about our chapters. I've talked about our research. But to dive into the third, which is our government affairs, our advocacy, you know, we are the voice uh, in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill uh, for veterans pursuing their education, primarily with the GI Bill. Uh, but really, our, our umbrella of advocacy is, is what I'd couch as economic opportunity. Uh, so that's the transition from uh, being in uniform to a college campus. I say being in uniform because that could be on active duty. That could be in the guard or reserves. Um, so making sure that we're really inclusive in that regard. Uh, and then it's the transition to higher ed, through higher ed, and then ultimately what we call beyond, which is uh, careers and, and having productive lives post-graduation and having the opportunity to make sure that student veterans uh, can travel to Washington, D.C. during our Washington week where uh, they engage with their members of Congress uh, and a really experiential learning opportunity, and then even uh, come to a hearing uh, where we wind up delivering SVA's annual policy priorities uh, before a joint uh, hearing uh, of the Senate and veteran and House Veterans Affairs Committees. Um, and then uh, there's an amazing alumni network uh, for student veterans. I always say that you know student veterans uh, are double alums. You know they're alums of the institutions in which they graduate but they're also alumni of of the world's finest fighting force for freedom and democracy uh, that the world has truly ever known, the the U.S. Armed Forces. So being an alumni of both of those organizations allows uh, SVA alums to really participate fully in their alumni uh, networks of their alma maters, uh, but then also making sure that, you know, let's say they move away from where their alma mater is to a city across the country. Well, there's local SVA chapters there too uh, that that are standing by ready for you to mentor the future veterans that are coming behind you and also network with local uh, SVA alumni in the community because that's what leads to more opportunity uh, and opening up those opportunities uh, for, for everybody is really where we start to see uh, the bigger impact of, of the intent of our work. Sorry, that was probably a way long answer to, to the question. No, no worries. And um, you did mention something that I'm excited about because um um, I'm going to be doing a session at your annual conference uh, related to minority serving institutions. So thank you so much. So I'm really excited about that because I've never been before and I'm hoping to get um, you know more folks interested in it. So that will be a lot of fun. Um, well, that's all the questions I have. And this has been wonderful, so informative. And just um, for those of you listening, we've been talking with Jared Lyon, who is National President and CEO of Student Veterans of America. And um, just learned so much. Thank you so much, Jared. Mary Beth, it was an honor to have the chance to uh, spend a little bit of time with you. Thank you so much for the partnership. Uh, you know, I think together uh, we really have the opportunity to impact uh, veterans, military connected students, their family members, supporters, survivors, and allies uh, in an extraordinary way. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, not just for today's time, but but truly the partnership. It, it is uh, it has been great thus far, and I'm excited to watch what we're able to accomplish together. Absolutely, thank you so much.